Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. Once again, the mobile edition, and we're blessed to have extraordinary guests come on every day. And today we are back on the technology train, and John Darby Shire is here. Welcome, John. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, David. John is the CEO and co-founder of Smart Suite, and it is a workflow platform helping and enabling us to be more efficient effective, collaborate, and statistically successful. Uh, John, the space has some great technology already uh, in the space. What are some of the advantages of using SmartSuite? Yeah, I, I think the, the goal of SmartSuite when we started the company was really to bring together a couple of different tech categories into a single product. So many of you are probably familiar with products like Monday and Airtable and Asana, ClickUp, those types of products. They fit in two categories, typically project management or more relational database process management workflows. None of them cross over very well into both of those. So the idea behind SmartSuite is a single platform to manage any process or project in your business. And systems integration is a big part of uh, the transference and utilization of new platforms. And there's a education curve, a learning curve that sometimes creates more resistance, even if the product is superior, well aligned with the initiatives of the company. Um, what are some of the things that you're doing to lessen the resistance uh, to accommodate people of integrating it in, getting trained and, and utilizing uh, the learning curve to your advantage? Yeah, a couple things to unpack there. So the, the first with SmartSuite, we're a no-code platform that's that's primarily focused on millennials and Gen Zers with the UI that we built. So those are the people that we feel do work in most organizations. So those those particular individuals are going to find it very easy to onboard themselves. It's going to be very collaborative in the same way that they're familiar with using a Facebook and a Twitter and different things where they can share and collaborate with colleagues that are there. From an integration perspective, uh, that's a great question. You know, in any workflow in today's market, you need to integrate content between various platforms. And there's a couple of ways to do that through native integrations or through connectors. And we have both the native Integration just means that we build drag and drop capability to integrate with many of the products that you use on a daily basis. You don't have to write any code to do that. You can just say, I need to integrate this content with this content. We do the heavy lifting behind the scenes. And the second way is to integrate with connectors like a Zapier, a Make, Apply, which are products that specialize in integration between products. So by integrating with their platforms, we've integrated with over 5,000 other products. Uh, so it makes it very easy for our customers to uh, share information between the workflows in SmartSuite and maybe a workflow in a Salesforce or a HubSpot or a Zendesk, another product that they're very happy with and don't want to move away from. Well, now I'm much relieved to have my co-host here. He's always carrying me. It's a very <laughs> strong back. He was probably at the chiropractor because he's been carrying me for weeks on the show as I've been traveling from Italy to Las Vegas to Los Angeles at SoFi. Welcome, Michael Unbroken. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be back with you every Wednesday. And uh, car carrying you is just because you carry me, buddy. Uh, thank you. Well, John has an extraordinary platform. I don't know if uh, you're ready for a first question. If not, I can hit him up. Yeah, no, actually, John, it's funny because I actually use SmartSuite. Um, it's something that we've integrated into the team uh, probably about six months ago. Um, one of the things that it did for me, it just solved this problem around organization in my, because for me, I would just be like, where does this go? And that goes over here and this goes over here. 
And so what do you think is, and if you touched on this, I apologize, but what do you think is the number one problem that you guys are solving right now for entrepreneurs, business owners like me, where it's like, I have a million things in my head and, and what is like the streamlined process that, that you guys have done that really makes this powerful? Cause I tried some of your um, competitors to say the least. And ultimately I landed with you guys for my own personal reasons, but I, I'd love to know from the inside looking out why it's worked so effectively. Yeah, I think there's there's a couple of different classes of users that we see from more startups and SMB types of, of accounts that are maybe one to 40, 50 users that are there. Those types of individuals or companies tend to have problems with just capturing data to understand the day-to-day -day task and activities that need to take place. Once you're able to do that very easily and then you can see that information, it just helps your entire life to be more organized in the way that you get things done. Um, if you kind of grow outside of that to the enterprise companies, you know, think of companies with tens of thousands of employees that have processes that are in place that pass information through different types of status workflows uh, that are there. Those typical organizations have a lot of people that come in and out of the process, meaning new employees join the company, employees leave the company, but the process needs to stay in place. So it enables them to have that singular process in place, regardless of the people that are involved in the process. And John, how much of the decision-making process is on price still today? Like everybody knows the ROI of a great platform like yours or even the competitors. They can make all the difference in the world. How much do you still have to fight with price? Yeah, you know, we've done something that's very different. I'll go back maybe in my background. I founded a company, Archer Technologies. It was an OCO platform in 2000, and we mainly marketed to the Fortune 100, and an average purchase of our product was around $350,000 a year, right? Now take that to today's market in a no-code platform like SmartSuite, we start at $10 per user per month. So we try to make it very economical to get started right away. And then we move up into tiers based on the volume that of things that you need to do, we call records in most cases. So on our enterprise plan that, that Fortune 100 companies use now, it's $40 per user per month. So you can still see that it's drastically lower. And our, our thought process behind SmartSuite was to bring enterprise level software to the masses at a price point that's not been done before. So we don't want price to be the, the reason that you won't use a technology like SmartSuite. Yeah, I, I definitely have seen that from a, a consumer standpoint. And I know many people who watch this show as entrepreneurs, we're, we're always trying to be mindful of, of where we're spending money. As people are navigating Smart Suite, you know, I think UX is such a big part of the journey. Um, we're constantly looking and learning as entrepreneurs and business owners. And I think one of the things we do kind of poorly is try to figure things out on our own. Um, how, talk about the support mechanism that you guys have in place at Smart Suite and how you not only help uh, entrepreneurs get onboarded, but um, kind of the learning centers that you have at hand for them as they're learning the product. Sure, yeah, it, it all starts with onboarding specialists that are on our team that know our product inside and out. Uh, they're available at no charge to all of our customers to help you get onboarded and to answer questions along your journey, whether you're a month in, six months, or even two years in, they're available to help you ensure that you're getting the most value outside of SmartSuite. If you feel that you need to do a project with SmartSuite where you have a new process, maybe that you want to implement, maybe you're a marketing agency and you want something very specific to how you're going to integrate with your customers, we have a partner program. So we have over 150 partners that specialize in different domains, some of those being in marketing that we can connect you with at different price points. Um, 
we have partners in nine different countries around the world that kind of service our, our, our portfolio that's there. So they speak multiple languages if you need that. And they're certified in SmartSuite, meaning they've been through training. They have people on their team that have, have demonstrated their knowledge through a test that they are you know, a vetted SmartSuite consultant that's there. And then for uh, if you're if you're looking to just enhance your knowledge of SmartSuite, we have a SmartSuite Academy, which is basically a learning center that allows you to come in. It's online courses that you take at your own pace. They're all free. Um, and, and we have hundreds of people that join that um, you know, each and every week. I found a huge benefit out of it, to be honest, because I, I, I only learn by doing, but having the support and again, you didn't pay me to be here, John. I just happened to use the program. I love that. <laughs> but he can. He can. <laughs> he should, actually, David. He should. <laughs> yeah. The, the other thing that we do, Michael, with people like yourself that are using the product is I, I spend an hour and a half to two hours of every day on the phone with customers and partners just asking for product feedback. What do you like? What do you don't like? What are you working on now? How can we make that better for you? Is that one little addition to a feature that's going to make the difference for you that's there? And that's what gives me joy in, you know, kind of being the founder of a company is the opportunity to work with people like yourself that understand their business. And then they're using a product like SmartSuite to enhance that or make you more efficient. And we want to know how can we help you do that? Mm. Yeah, I love that. What do you like? What don't you like? What did it help you with? Uh, great template. But speaking of templates, John, one of the advantages of having so many partners, vendors, associates, integrators and customers is that you can leverage the experience if you're more interested than interesting in that customer base, in your vendors, in your partners and associates. Um, what are the things uh, that you provide from the leverage of everyone involved? Do you have templates and other things that are uh, integrated into the system from the experience of your users and partners? Yeah, another great question. I appreciate that. So, you know, I really started my background my first big job out of school was I partnered Ernst & Young and ran one of their global uh, cybersecurity practices. And Ernst & Young, if you don't know them, it's all about process. Everything has a process in everything that you do, and that's what they deliver back to their customers. So that was ingrained in me at a very early point in my career. Fast forward to SmartSuite, uh, not only do we provide a platform, but we provide over 200 business process templates across 35 different categories of things. So think of sales, marketing, HR, TV, product, we do things for nonprofits, for churches, real estate companies, construction companies, dentists. Like if it's a process, we probably have it baked in. And a process to us means we've worked with industry experts to kind of fine tune that process, build that template in the smart suite. And if you download that template, it takes about three seconds. Our goal is 85 to 90% of what you need is right there in the template for you to get started. So you don't need to create from scratch to kind of start. For many people, they don't know what a best-in-class template might look like for a particular process, especially if you're more of an SMB-type company. And it gives you a great idea to understand, like, here's the entry point, and sometimes we give you the middle of the, middle of the road, and then we give you kind of the full-blown enterprise version. So you can kind of pick between the three options of what's best for you. John, I'm curious. You know, I think a lot of people go and they create product, they make courses, they have the next SaaS, but they never ask their users, their employees, their team, the outside world, what works, what doesn't, what are they interested in, what are they not? Why has that been important to you and what role has that played in shaping the program? Yeah, I, I learned that early in my career as well when I founded Archer Technologies. You know, we 
we were a no-code platform that was focused on helping organizations manage processes around government's personal compliance. Like we were the first company in that space uh, that was there. And we had some pretty lean years at the beginning. And what we learned was to follow the customer. Like I camped out at Fortune 100 companies, sometimes for months at a time. I just watched them work, use our product, understand, and it helped us really pivot to focus on what was most important to them. But we also built these amazing relationships where one customer shared their success with another customer, and that's how we gained customers over time. And in the first three years of that company, 29 of the 30 largest banks in the U.S. became customers. So that word of mouth is super important. So at SmartSuite, that's the same approach. My wife, Tara, runs the sales organization. She helped me found SmartSuite uh, Archer 20 years ago as well. She's all about relationships and building relationships not just between us and the customers, but introducing customers to other customers that maybe share non-competitive types of things so they can talk about you know, business. Incredible. All the different nuances of a successful platform, integrating and learning by being an intelligent follower, learning from the lessons of the past and Archer. Uh, John, please promise us you'll come back. Thank you so much for all you do. For these business owners like Michael, we appreciate you and look forward to having you back on. Oh, thank you very much, David. Michael, it's been a pleasure. Thank Great you. Great job. Thank you. Came, saved my butt right on time. Michael unbroken. He's unbreaking me. He's unbreakable. Uh, but what a great interview. And I'm so glad that you actually have used it. I've uh, started to do my due diligence as we're looking for a new platform. So I'm looking forward to your input and advice as well as working with John at Derbyshire, a great successful entrepreneur and CEO and co-founder of SmartSuite. If you're interested in learning more, go to smartsuite.com. Frank is in the house and uh, I believe so. David, uh, yes, absolutely. Yes, all right. All right. Frank, Frank Frazzi is here, CEO, president of Intel Libre. Uh, and we're back on track. Uh, Michael, can you see Frank there as well? Frank, we can't see you, but we can hear you, buddy. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good one. So let me see where we can fix that. Um, I'll tell you, I think we can have. We, I think we can have to do to do with this. But give me one second, please. And, uh, no problem. Take your time. For some reason, it seems like it's not not using my uh, my other camera. So we'll use this one. Here we go. Hey. There we are. Solution oriented. Like it, Frank. There you go. Yeah, we're here. For, we're here to fix problems. Gentlemen, good to meet you both. So uh, I am all about innovation and automation. And I'm going to start with a basic question for the benefit of our audience. And I think a lot of people, especially today with AI, they're confused between automation and innovation. Uh, and so I was hoping someone who has created one of the most amazing automation tools. What do you see as the difference between automation and innovation? Uh, that's, that's a really good question. So innovation is a broader term. It's got to cover uh, just about every aspect of uh, life from uh, being able to uh, uh, look for the next release uh, and, and download it and, uh, uh, of, uh, of, of, a, of a video game or, or, or movie and so on and uh, be able to, to do it. Automation is very is a much more of a narrower term, and it's all about using machine or or technology to be able to turn a process that can be done manually into a process that can be done by, uh, but done faster, more consistently, and uh, a more in a more repeatable fashion by by computers or 
for machines. Obviously, the term automation didn't start with computers. It uh, preceded that, and uh, the term automation goes all the way back to the first implementation of, uh, of, of using a machine by a human to automate a process, to automate a process or most likely actually automating uh, something a lot more primitive than a process. Love that. One of the things, Frank, that you guys do, which I think is absolutely incredible, is, is you create these voice, these messaging, these ready-to-use applications, open APIs, and more to, to really change a customer experience and improve so many of the processes that we go through in an automated way. Uh, you know, I, I think that you hear quite frequently people um, talk about so many companies that are large, when they become customers, they feel unseen, they feel like they're not heard, they're not connecting. How is it that, especially with AI, this thing that is now everywhere, and you know, we talk about this all the time, people are not gonna have jobs in this space because they don't exist yet. Like, what is it that you guys are doing to help people through this AI be better connected to their customer base? So that's a really good question, Michael. And one of the benefits of AI is to be able to manage and handle a lot of data, a lot of information, trillions of pieces of data very well. Humans are not really very well suited to do that. So, so what AI can do and what AI is doing for businesses, and some of them are our customers, uh, to be able to personalize the interaction between a business and a consumer. So imagine a business and you're trying to um, leverage um, the, the, not, only, not only the interactions you've had with that business, for every single interaction that anyone in the past have had with the business and recognizing based on your history of of, of dealing with with the company uh, how how to uh, personalize that exchange personalize that communication know what you what was the last interaction and being able to be able to deliver the answers and the responses to your inquiries your questions uh anything else you're looking for uh in a, in a very personalized fashion so it's it's for Michael, it's not for Frank. That, that's mm -hmm. how he can make the customer experience better. Of course, there are a lot of other aspects of making the customer experience better. We all know and we all suffered waiting and being on hold for, for minutes, hours, uh, waiting for somebody to pick up a call, either for an airline or a retailer and so on. Well, imagine the world where that does not exist and is not needed anymore, where the whole time is gone, gone completely because the response to many of those questions and inquiries that you have as a consumer can be automated and can be responded to in a very personal way for, for, your, for your questions or for your quest. And that's what we do. We try to take that, um, that difficult, complex interaction between a business and many of its consumers, six utility, Large, large retailers and being able to take that, those attractions, personalize them, automate them, and uh, avoid uh, avoid uh, any inconsistent or poor customer experience. Yeah, my big thing that I joke around about is our mission, our vision is to have no more hold times, right? So, yeah. and that's kind of what uh, I mean. It's, it's, it's absolutely. It's how can you, how can you not be uh, inspired by that kind of uh, objective for all of us as consumers? Yeah. Well, I think you'll win a Nobel Peace Prize if you can create a world with no hold times just out of the productivity. You can imagine the peace and ease that we can create with that much time. Uh, you could, I wonder how much time on average the, the human spends on hold in their lifetime. Uh, you probably have saved years off of people's lives of productivity, accessibility, and gratitude. Now, I come from a telecommunications background, uh, blessed to work in the middleware space, uh, way back when in the Silicon Valley and then a CEO of Samsung's 
first phone division data device back in 1999 when they used to call them convergence devices with the PCE phone and the danger devices and the Palm 7s and thus working. There's been a transition where a lot of people don't realize that telecommunications are nothing but data. And now that we have such powerful processing speeds and AI that synthesizes data, uh, I was hoping that you could raise our intelligence and our awareness to the synthesization of this data that creates the ability uh, that we don't have to sit on hold. What are some of the uh, key components of the data that you're utilizing in order to effectuate this intelligent communication system? Yeah, thanks, David, for the question. And I know of your background, honestly, I don't think I can increase your intelligence, but I can certainly talk to you about what, what we, <laughs> certainly talk to, you, talk to you about what we've been doing and how we leverage uh, immense amount of uh, information and data, including both public available information as well as private customer data to be able to create the best possible customer experience. And that distinction is really important. So as we talk a lot about AI and the value of AI, just like any other technology, it has its pluses, it has its weaknesses, and, and a smart business and smart provider uh, can leverage the strengths of any technology, yet at the same time be able to um, figure out um, the ways to protect uh, the consumer and protect the businesses uh, from the negative. So, so we've created a way to be able to uh, create that uh, uh, best of breed interaction between all the available public data. I'm sure you heard the term of uh, large language models recently in the last six months. I think we're all been throwing them around a lot recently. Now that term is has been around for a while, but certainly in the last seven months have captured the imagination of the consumers and, and, and technologies and so on. But in addition to that, we have our own private customer data that we allow to be able to stay private and to be able to uh, access in, in an augmented way to, to provide more information that's specific to Michael or David that's contacted the business and contacted the business based on a certain demand or a certain requirement and might have had a history with dealing with the business. And all that history is very important. And by the way, that spans almost any kind of business. We have customers that are healthcare customers. We have customers that are retail customers. We have insurers. We have utilities. You can imagine what utilities uh, tend to use uh, automation, uh, communication automation, or, or sort of automation uh, to deal with uh, with the likes of hurricanes and and snowstorms and, and so forth. So 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 all altogether, just about every single vertical uh, in, in in any uh, in any in any economy can leverage and benefit from the. Uh, benefits of, of the data that they have combined with all the available data in those large language models. And this is what we do here in Entelope. We bring it all together. We allow you to be able to, to provide an enterprise quality, a secure and private uh, data offer that, that leverages and harnesses the part of AI to be able to, um, to, be able to uh, create those, those best of breed customer experiences we're talking about earlier. That That's incredible, Frank. And I, I think that you know, when you look at some of the biggest companies in the world, they are all data driven. We all know this, we see it constantly. You see it in the Facebooks, the Microsofts, the Amazons, the Tesla, it's all data. One of the things that we, we see more and more are data breaches, the fear of security breaches, people being 
completely freaked out. And and Frank, I'll be honest with you, man. I, I've just kind of stepped back and I said, if I own this thing, I my data is not safe. And it is agreement that I've had with for the ability of taking this with me around the world whenever I need it. How do you protect your consumers and their consumers with with privacy, with security, with data breaches? Probably the the thing people are most afraid of right now. Yeah, Michael. I mean, candidly, and if I can just really be completely casual with you here, is is the Facebooks and Metas and the likes of those uh, social media companies have gave enterprise uh, SaaS providers a bad rap. Um, it's 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 <laughs> the the essence of our, what we do. Uh, starts with being able to protect uh, our customers' data, keep it private, and keep it secure. In fact, that's that's those are table stakes. Doesn't matter what AI can you can provide if you can't protect both the um, uh, the, the the individual customers' data, the company's data, as well as the as well as their intellectual property, uh, proprietary business processes. Think about a think about a business that maybe spent the last twenty years improving and, and finessing a business process, and now that business process really becomes part of their proprietary know-how and knowledge. You don't want to make that. You want to make sure you just as much you're protecting the their consumers' data, you're protecting their intellectual property and processes as you're automating it, as you're moving into the AI. So, so this is where the this is where we um, the, the experience and the knowledge that we bring to the table is to be able to do that in, a, in a, an efficient, effective way, where we're increasing the uh, availability of uh, uh, AI into the streams that are much more careful uh, for in, in data handling, whether it's handling uh, patient information in healthcare, or for that matter, um, uh, credit card information for uh, retailers and so on. You know, Frank, you have extensive uh, experience as well, and I definitely can learn a lot from you. Um, Mike pre, uh, kind of preluded something that, you know, most of the jobs uh, that people will have five years from now don't even exist. How are you dealing with uh, understanding where to go when the technology is advancing exponentially now. And uh, in your solution, I can imagine that protecting the uh, not only security because of the advancements in technology, but also competition. And then also what I call the biggest competitor, our own advancement uh, of, you know, I joke around, but you know, I tell people all the time, do you know who I, the iPhone's biggest competitor is? And they'll all say, you know, Samsung. And I said, no, it's an iPhone. You're not using an iPhone 4 right now, are you? And yeah. uh, I think the same holds true for your business model. How are you preparing for the acceleration of advancement in technology? That's that's a great question, David. Uh, we're we're a, a, uh, we're speaking of innovation. We're an innovative technology company. Uh, company's been around for 20 years. We've always uh, worked uh, diligently to try to make sure that we are ahead of the curve. Uh, it, 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 uh, you know, it's, it's certainly, uh, it's certainly, it's not a, it's a challenge. Uh, and, and you um, learn how to do that well by listening very carefully to your partners and your customers. We have over 2,500 uh, customers. We have over a thousand partners that we sell through. Uh, collectively, uh, we get, we keep our pulse to the, to the uh, demands of the uh, market, but we also lead. Uh, you know, it's the old, you know, right? So you 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 listen, you learn, uh, you you keep uh, your ear to the ground to, to make sure that you're hearing what your customers and partners are telling you. But you also have to show them the way. Uh, generative AI actually is absolutely one of those instances that I think we have led in this uh, in this journey with our customers and partners. And in fact, we're 
guiding them. Now, six months ago, seven months ago, we were having these conversations. It was very early on. Uh, in the last uh, in the last quarter, I, I can't tell you how many, how much what a transformation I've seen in the in the interest of our customers and partners to, to ride the wave and and uh, and uh, change their businesses to be able to implement and adapt to generative AI. This happens all the time, obviously, as you know. It, I've been around for a long time to remember the. The, the the last part of the 90s and the internet uh, explosion back in the 90s from the Netscape days all the way into the dot-com bubble. We're, we're, this is this transformation with generative AI feels more real and more um, in terms of productive power than, than that one did. Uh, there was just, a, there was on CNBC, there was a, a, a recently from Goldman Sachs that over the de next decade, the, the S&P 500, um, earnings per share will grow over 30% through the productivity enhancements uh, generated by generative AI. That's about a 1.5% to 2% annually for the next 10 years. And compounded, of course, and, and has a huge value. Uh, so, so you know, when, when you start when we start thinking about uh, taking that those uh, incremental earnings per share, and they come by the way in two forms. They're definitely productivity enhancements. But as I was describing earlier, a lot of our customers. They want, they want the productivity enhancements of cost savings and so on, but they care more about being able to deliver a, a, a best of breed uh, customer experience. Um, the, 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 that's truly what's driving uh, the, the migration, being able to have a consistent, I mean, we, we talked about halt times. Let's talk about how many times you called, you called into a business. You get one answer, you hang up, and you call again, and you get a different answer. If you didn't like the first one, I certainly done that. So, so we have, I'm sure we all have done that. So now being able to get that consistent response without dismaying your, your callers because one one agent did not know the right answer uh, and being able to do it to the consistent way is is also part of that 30% improvement in, in, uh, in earnings for the S&P 500. And by the way, this was done on the S&P 500. It is true absolutely for just about every single uh, business in the world. Yeah, providing more options, opportunities, and touches of favor. Frank Fozzi, thank you for joining us, CEO and president of Intellipeer, uh, increasing our communication and our connectivity. Uh, we look forward to having you back on as well. Thank you for the lessons today. I will be utilizing those to make more money, help more people, and have more fun. We'll see you Sounds soon. Sounds good, David and Michael. Gentlemen, great meeting you. Take care. Thank great you. Meeting you. Thank you. Come back soon. Things are getting unbroken with Michael unbroken, uh, and uh, it's amazing. I love the irony, Michael, just real quick before we bring on, and I'm not sure our guest is here, but I love the irony when you get like the world thought leaders in technology that can't get the camera on. It's amazing. <laughs> that's so they, true. That's, or like, but you know what, man? That's just the human experience. <laughs> it's like, or like you and I, like you do thousands of interviews. Been both of us together, years and years, thousands of speeches, and we'll still get on a, a Zoom or a StreamYard and leave our mute on. <laughs> so yeah. Like, yes, I, I'm a professional. Don't worry about me. Uh, I'm incredible. Anyways, uh, okay. we, we're, we're not on audio here. They see me, and we're not in audio. I can hear you. What's up, Miles? You're in the show. Everyone can okay. see and hear you, but they can't see or hear me. Can you guys hear me? Miles, we, we can hear you. Yeah, we okay. can hear you. We, we don't have audio. Oh, you can't hear us. 
The irony of us just talking about this. <laughs> That's my favorite thing, too. And you know that, Michael. I, I got to complete the Miles. Miles, the, the doll, is uh, capital. Uh, he'll come back on to talk about leadership, entrepreneurship, philanthropy, all kinds of principles in that realm. But uh, I just have to be honest. I think I got, oh, there we go. Hello. Hello, how you doing? Is that Roy? Good. We got Roy's Roy. Stepping in. Thank you. My boy there Roy is here, everyone. Thank you for joining us. He's stepping in, CEO and president of Viking Executive Protection Solutions, vikingeps.com. Welcome, Roy, to the show. Thank you. It's an honor to be here and pleasure, and, and I'm enjoying the moment. Well, you're going to really enjoy it because I got Michael Unbroken in the house, and he brings it, and he's such a great compliment. I, it's like Batman and Robin when I'm with Michael. Uh, we want to talk about the importance of situational awareness uh, and understanding how that's relative to uh, not only protection, but a situational uh, awareness and uh, understanding of how that can help us in business as well, because you are an expert in the protective side of it, really aligned perspective, uh, how we can use the situational awareness to be successful in our businesses as well. Well, well, thank you. That's a very good question. And um, and it gets asked a, a lot, but it, I don't think it gets asked enough. Um, I think people have a general inert ability to understand about their situation, but are they aware of factors around it? Um, and that goes from the personal side and it actually can go into the business side. Um, I think us in general is talking about just society in general. We take a view and a look point at security as a great glass in case of emergency. You know, we're more reactive instead of being proactive. Well, situational awareness is just the same thing. It's being proactive and not being reactive. So how are you proactive with situational awareness? Well, there's few steps that you can take that will keep you aware of your situation if you practice them and make them habits. Um, we all have the ability to have habits. We call them cycles. You know, you, when you wake up in the morning, you have the same routine every day that you do, and that's a cycle. So if you can adapt that same cycle onto the security side, that adapts the slides over to situational awareness. Uh, case in point, I just went to a movie theater um, last week with my, my daughter to see Mission Impossible. I let my daughter pick out the, uh, the seats. So my daughter knows that she doesn't pick the seats in the middle of, of any row. She wants the ones on the, on the edge. Why? If there's a, something that happens, she wants to be able to get out of that area the easiest, as fast as possible. And she picks a side closest to the exit door. So my daughter already knows that. So it's, it's just natural now. And she gets it because of me, because of what I used to do all the time. So that's the situational awareness on just that level. Now, how can you adapt that to the business side? Well, it may not be so much as being aware of your environment, but it's about doing things to make your company and yourself safe, such as not being reactive with when it comes to doing securities, being proactive, because anytime you're reactive and, and this is where we're going to come to dollars and cents, you're going to pay more than if you're proactive. 
and and that's where situation awareness on the business side uh, in, in a holistic view comes into play. Uh, I love that, Roy. I do the same thing. I, I, my, I come from a pretty heavy military family. Uh, I'm myself someone who spent a long time uh, hoping that'd be my path, but unfortunately because of an injury wasn't in the, the cards. But I've been studious of, of things about survival for a very long time from Ten Kennedy to Sun Tzu and the Art of War. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. As you're speaking, man, one of the things that came to mind is uh, there's an incredible book. I don't know if you've read it or not. It's by Andy Grove. It's called Only the Paranoid Survive. And and he was one of the co-founders of Intel. And and I think about that quote quite frequently. At at what point is, are are you, I guess what I'm trying to figure out, because we do need to protect ourselves, keep ourselves safe, make sure we're doing the right thing, especially as entrepreneurs and business owners. But is there a space in which paranoia becomes delusion? Like, at what point is it overkill, right? Yeah, um, there is a point where it it becomes excessive and obsessive. Um, And that's when, you know, for instance, you, you check things two and three and four times, you know, and you make people around you uncomfortable, you know, when you're very demanding of, of where you want to be and where you want to sit. Um, when I go out with, with people that are in my, my circle, they know that I don't like to have my back to the window or to, or to the door. I want to face that. So people around me, they, I don't have to say it. It's just, it's just natural. They know that about me, but some people, they really go overboard about how they want things set up to a point where sometimes they'll talk to the host, they'll talk to the maitre d', they'll talk to the managers, and they make a big commotion of it um, to a point where it is uncomfortable. So there, and I see that a lot from um, from people coming back from the military being deployed. You see them because they're they're hyper vigilant and everything around them because of their environment that they had to deal with. So because of that, that hyper vigilance really is overreactive um in a calm setting but they don't know how to dial it down and it can become become very um frustrating for someone who's not used to it and it can become very very unsettling and really make things very uncomfortable um it's really just trying to understand where they're coming from and 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 deal with it decades uh, with the celebrities, athletes, entertainers, billionaires uh, that in my profession, we have to collaborate with, with the events and the public exposure from you know traveling in Brazil for World Cup to Super Bowl Masters, Kentucky Derby, etc. It seems to me, and tell me if I'm wrong, there hasn't been much change since I've uh, utilized these services since the 90s. So we're like going into the third decade of me utilizing these productive services. Your approach seems to be a little bit different. You seem to be disrupting what has been around for a long time. What are the things that you're doing to disrupt uh, a stagnant traditional industry? Well, well, well David, that's a very good question. Um, I was fortunate to be selected and go to a very prestigious executive protection training school called Gavin De Becker. Um, and I learned a lot when I went there. Um, and one thing that I took away from there that I've been able to, to adapt in my own philosophy is utilizing the art of communication, which sometimes I think that communication gap nowadays, especially dealing with events, is missed. 
So how do how do we do that? Well, one thing is we try to really, really talk with the event planner, the coordinator, the client, all managers, trying to get them to all figure out exactly what their wants and what their needs are, how they're expecting it to go so that we can bring in all of those pieces and make one huge, beautiful canvas, because that's what makes events go smooth. Um, the, the, the issue that we see that you were talking to is you'll have this coordinator used to doing it his way and this coordinator used to doing it his way. And then now you have you kind of have a power play of who's gonna gonna trump. Well, we don't try to do that anymore. And that's the whole thing that I try to bring across to people. It's not about a power play. It's about how can we make sure that this runs smooth to a point where you're happy, I'm happy, the client's happy, the fans are happy, and everyone's getting along. So we try to work together and plan and then taking taking consideration all the contingencies of where things can go wrong and then try to address them early so that when they do, they're just minimal, you know, and then we can adapt and overcome. And and we see that and for instance, unfortunately, the the issue in Houston, you know, at, at Astro World when they had that situation, because the two there was entities that weren't speaking to each other. Um, and they weren't planning, you know, one agency didn't know how many people they were ex expecting to come. Another agency thought they had enough. Another agency was had their people in a certain area and they didn't need to be in that area. So if they would actually communicate and talk and had pre-planning, some of those issues may have been mitigated. Um, and that's the approach that we take with events. Um, we're real, that's one of our strong points with, within the company is handling events. Um, and I have some really good mentors that really talk to me about over planning, communication, talking, walking through and being on site, on set every single step of the way to make sure it gets done right. Love that, Roy. Uh, and you see that all the time, regardless of industry, people have failure to communicate and there are always prices to be paid for that. One of the things I'm wondering, because one of my friends, I won't say who, but recently, and he's here in Vegas with me, we were out at a, a pretty big event and we were talking and he recently made the decision to get personal security and protection just because his star is rising. He's a person that is out and about in the world. How do you know when that's the right time as an entrepreneur, as an executive, as a leader? Um, you know, at what point do you do you step into the the mitigation of risk by by being willing to go down this path? Michael, that's a good question. Um, and, and actually, I was on the phone with a young lady a couple of days ago um, and she had a very similar question for me. Um, what we do is we use our risk assessment and our risk assessment covers a couple of things. <clears throat> Number one, uh, we talk about the industry that they're in what their job and their job duties, what their job title is. Was there a change in their job title? Was there a change in their financial status? Was there a change in some of the events that they do, where they live, where they go? When we can take that whole picture and figure out and dissect that, and then from there, then we can say, okay, you know what? Are you, what about your social media? What's going on in your social media? What type of people are speaking to you on social media? Are people making comments? Are people, you know, bad-mouthing you? Are they making threats? When you take all those pieces together, that's when you can start to say, you know what, this is something that I meet, need to maybe consider is stepping up on my security level. Because the thing about that people don't don't really realize is someone can be watching you, stalking you, 
they can be ready to attack you and you won't may not know it because they're watching you in the background and the approach that we take is we try to dissect that find out that information early so we can actually what we call it called doxing mitigation so we can actually dive into your social media so we can find out okay are you vulnerable are there threats and then from there then that way we can advise you on on what type of protection how much protection and when you need it and go forward from there phenomenal i'm gonna doxy uh background check you michael i'm broken you're getting famous buddy you're gonna need some protection real soon roy he'll be your next client calling you roy smith in the house ceo and president Viking Executive Protection Solutions, doing it the best way. He is trained to the T. Come back and visit us. Thanks, Roy, and thank you for all the protective services. Would love to. Thanks for having me, and you guys have a great time. We will. Thank you. That's awesome. I love the eclectic nature of how many different businesses, and yet, you know, we can get as advanced into the telepeer world of AI, generative AI, to have no holding times, and yet we still need uh, personal protection uh, as well. And uh, there's nothing but uh, EO, emotional uh, opportunity and intelligence in order to facilitate that. And the collaborative nature is still the difference, uh, coordinated collaborative movement. Uh, I guess Miles will be, oh, Miles, Hi, can you David. Hear us? I can hear you fine. Can you hear me? Phenomenal. Great to have you. Thank you for joining nice. us. Pleasure. Nice to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Well, we want to talk about leadership, and you seem to be the most qualified person that we could find when it comes to leadership, entrepreneurship, philanthropy, and how to start a business. Uh, so I'm going to start right there. Uh, you know, How do you define leadership in the realm of entrepreneurship? Well, I think most entrepreneurs develop their leadership skills over long periods of time. I don't believe that most entrepreneurs are inherently great leaders. They're great visionaries. And it's only over a period of time uh, where they, they employ hopefully many, many people and they learn through their experiences. I've had the benefit of 43 years of experience and eight hair transplants. So I've been through a lot. Uh, you know, we probably employed over 20,000 people in our life, and today we employ about 8,500. So, you know, I guess part of it is defining what is the culture that you want to establish. I believe that cultural fit in chemistry is as important, if no import, more important than competency in recruiting people to the organization and the kind of organization that you want to have. So for us, we care about things like kindness, character, honesty, trust, humility, generosity. Those are the principles that we look to recruit and we look to foster. Um, we've got 12 principles of partnership. I mean, our success has been about partnering with human capital that goes up and down the elevator. So we say only partner with people that you like, admire, respect and trust. Only partner with people you're prepared to have breakfast, lunch or dinner with a second time. Only partner with people you're prepared to have a long weekend in a small cabin, small boat, small ranch, or small RV. Only partner with people that you're prepared to make the executive of your estate. Only partner with people that have large craniums, big candle power, and good judgment. We found that a lot of people's judgment is suspect at best. Only partner with people that are kind to animals. 
if you're not mm. kind to your animal, it's usually a bad indication of the kind of human being you are. Uh, only partner with people that have the human compassion gene. If you don't want to give time, talent, or treasure the benefit of others, you're usually selfish. Uh, only partner with people that uh, are uh, have the same passion, dedication, willingness to sacrifice for the common mission. Only partner with people that uh, understand God gave you two ears and one mouth in proportion for a reason and use them accordingly. Uh, only partner with people that um, are good listeners. You know, as you go through the vagaries of business and the ups and downs, you need to be a good listener to be able to weather the challenges that you go through in business with your employees, your colleagues, and your partners. And lastly, only partner with people that understand hula, that a lot of our success in life has nothing to do with our skill necessarily, but the good fortune of the people we meet along the journey and the kind of relationships we establish and foster over a long period of time. In my case, that's certainly the case. So those are the sort of the kind of things. The other thing is just try to be really kind. I, I find that being kind is a real competitive advantage. Uh, you know, everybody in life, they're challenged each and every day, you know? And so if you can put a smile on people's face, put your arm around them, you know, emotionally, make them feel good about who they are, what their prospect for prosperity is within the organization, and how grateful and appreciative you are for their contribution, you get a lot more productivity, but also it just makes you feel good every day to be a leader when you're making other people feel good. So those are some of our beliefs about leadership. Yeah. You know, Miles, it sounds to me like you might've done this once or twice, man. Um, I, I have the benefit of making every leadership mistake possibly. I ran a team of 52 at 18 years old. So let me tell you this, I made some mistakes on my way up, but the, the last point, second to last point you made about kindness, I believe is truly everything. Like that is the way we connect. That is the way we bond. That is the human experience. But like you, it is because of the people, people like the incredible David Meltzer here that I've been able to see growth in my career and my growth as a leader. And I think sometimes you talk about this culture fit, right? And sometimes we have it in our heads as entrepreneurs or business owners or even employees that it's the right culture, even though we're paying a price, maybe emotionally to be in there. We see these people as certain leaders. Maybe they're not leading with kindness. They're not showing people admiration. And yet we're like, well, they're the next big thing. And so we're in there. How do you navigate the emotion? fit with the culture fit and trying to figure out where you fit so uh, first of all Michael, wow. any guy anybody who tells you that they have not made mistakes is not being truthful every successful entrepreneur and leader i know has a litany of mistakes that are too long to list and i'm one of those people Hopefully you learn from your mistakes and you pivot and you triangulate and you, you know, make your course correct. Um, to me, uh, you know, Buffett had a great expression. He said, when you're recruiting people, you want people with integrity, intelligence and energy. And if they don't have the first one, you don't want them to have the, the, the last two. Because if they don't have integrity, you want them to be dumb and slow, not fast and aggressive, you know, and, 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 and really bright. So the reality is you don't really know about cultural fit and chemistry until you live together. I mean, that's the practical reality. And 
part of the dynamic that you also are uncertain of until you test it in real life is um, about the chemistry and cultural connection they have with their colleagues, right? Because everybody manages up pretty well. The challenge is how do people manage sideways and down? I, I care as much about how people deal with the receptionist, the car valet, the waitress, the you know uh, the, the the hostess at a restaurant. That I I don't need people to be kind to me. Um, you know, with the position, you know that will inherently happen. But what you also want to do is reward people and make them understand why you value kindness, why you value you know cooperation and humility. Humility is another really important one. And because we're all going to go through setbacks and it's the it's the ability to go through having a humble perspective in the face of success. It's obviously easy to be humble when you're going through adversity, but it's being humble in the face of success. And that's these are values that you hope will perpetuate the continuation of the organization well beyond the style or ability of the founder or the next generation. So those are things, Michael, that we focus a lot on. Yeah, I love that. And I think David might have hit a little weak spot with the the Wi-Fi and connection. I want to go a little bit deeper into that because you do see this quite frequently where, where people will get a win in business, right? Humility, being humble, being a kind servant leader kind of goes out the window. How do you check yourself? Because Miles, look, dude, you've been doing this for over 40 years. You've had some big wins. How do you check yourself in that moment where like the ego is ready to take over? So I was watching a fantastic interview of Robert De Niro and um, a whole bunch of other actors, Jamie Foxx. And, um, you know, they they talked about this too shall pass. You know, you, 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 you think that the world's on your case. You can't get a win. Everything that's happened, you know, in your life is going the wrong way. Remember, this too shall pass. You're doing great. Everything you touch is turning to gold. You got the Midas touch. Everybody's singing your praises. Just remember, this too shall pass. And De Niro says you have to be balanced. You have to stay level. You know, you have to stay, you know, in, in a calm point of view because there's always ups and downs. And if you have been around long enough, and I've been doing this for 43 years, you know, you know, just when things couldn't be better, you know, Something bad's coming around the corner. On the other hand, when things look like you've hit a soft spot and it's hard to find a win, just remember this too shall pass. So I think I never lose sight of where I came from. I borrowed 500 bucks for my visa card. The first two people I hired were my parents. I came from the most humble of beginnings. I've gone through huge amounts of adversity over the last 43 years. And I just remember that I'm no different than anyone else. I'm just a guy who comes from humble beginning, who's been able to accomplish a few good things. And, you know, I remember meeting Mark Tashira, who was the first baseman for the New York Yankees. I said, Mark, what's your legacy going to be? He said, good family man, generous community guy. And oh, by the way, he played baseball. And it really gave me a, a, a perspective that he defined himself and his legacy by what kind of human being he was and his professional accomplishments were secondary to what he thought was important to his legacy. 
you are building quite a legacy, Miles, in the context of my favorite piece of advice, which is be kind to your future self and do good deeds, no matter how much money we make, no much how much prestige we have achieved. Uh, you certainly are a humble, intelligent follower, my definition of a leader. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having you back. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be here, and I hope to participate in the future. Wishing all of you, your viewers, and your families good health and a wonderful summer. Thank you. You're amazing. Thank you. Awesome. I made it just in time for the takeaway of the day, Mike. How about that? Yeah, man. Uh, look, I, I think I heard it from every single incredible entrepreneur we had on today. Um, the thing that I'm taking away is listen. Listen to your customers. Listen to your team. Listen to your executive team, listen to strangers on the street, listen to your partner, your wife, your friends, your cousin, just listen. Cause you know, it's forced for the trees sometimes, man. And I think that we can get in our own way because we have already made up our mind and you might hear something that changes your mind in a way that leads you further down the path of prosperity. So for me, my biggest takeaway is just shut up and listen more. I love it. Uh, mine is alignment of values. And whether it's a competitive space of uh, different platforms that exist, whether it's the intelligent communication devices that we have, uh, whether it's a multi-multi-millionaire like Miles, uh, or finally uh, the executive protection. It's to me all about that idea of kindness and values. And if we can align our values with whatever we're doing, it's gonna be a good fit. And I know that you and I share the same values, which is why we're a great fit. And uh, regardless of all the different technological challenges we received today, of on late, on time, video, audio, in the end, here we are, two of the monsters at the end of the book, doing our best and being kind, pouring into our community. What a pleasure and an honor it is to have you on the show every Wednesday. Thank you again. I hope your back's not too sore from this week, and I will continue to be here with you. I'm so proud of you. Uh, I got your back, and I love you. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, man. Same. Love you, buddy. I'll see you soon. See you soon. All right, everyone. We did it. One more episode of Office Hours. We're in the hundreds. We're in the thousands, and it's all for you. Remember, most importantly, though, be more interested than interesting. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you tomorrow.